Right. Hello and good evening. This is uh, uh, Peter Bruce. We're here on uh, Business Live um, with a post uh, um, medium term budget policy statement analysis discussion. Got a great panel together and we're expecting some more to join us. But we have with us tonight um, Iraj Abadian, uh, who's a founder and executive chairman of Pan African Capital Holdings, well known to anybody who follows the South African economy. Um, Mamakete Lejane is a fixed income and sales macro strategist at APSA CRB, 20 years experience as an analyst in the markets. Uh, Lonwabo Makubela is portfolio manager and deputy chief investment officer at Perpetua. It's a new, I think it's a new, but an independent owner management, owner managed boutique investment firm. And Gina Skuman, who's also well known to us all, managing director at City um, uh, and a um, a prominent research economist uh, in South Africa. We've we've all listened, I think, today to uh, the finance minister um, uh, deliver his, his medium-term budget policy statement, what we used to call, I think, in the old days, a mini-budget. Um, and I don't know about you, panel, but I was impressed by the some of the certainly on the on the revenue side. I was amazed at the fact that uh, we're predicting. Um, that we are going to uh, cut our um, we're going to cut our, our, our uh, um, what's the, what's the better our gross debt uh, to around sixty nine percent of GDP by twenty four twenty five um, fiscal consolidation seems to seems to um, yeah, continue um, unstopped I mean I assume this is a good thing. Um, it's going to narrow, he says, from 4.1% of GDP in 2023-24 to 3.2% of GDP. We could almost, at those numbers, become members of the European Union. And uh, it did strike me um, that the UK has provided us with a very good lesson uh, for anyone wondering or not whether budgets matter in the last couple of weeks. Um Enoch Gorongwana today was clearly no quasi Kwateng. Um, but I wonder, um, Iraj Abidin, if I can start with you, I wonder whether this budget policy statement will satisfy the markets. I think largely it would in the short term. Um, however, there are booby um, traps in this strategy for the next couple of years. Uh, and the minister sort of left, uh, left the door wide open. Um, in in terms of augmenting some of the government expenditure, what what I would call, or in the fiscal language, is non-discretionary fiscal commitments. Uh, but for me, the biggest issue is the fact that um, it this policy reversed and, and the previous ministers, Tito Mubeni's uh, fairly firm stance that SOEs are not going to be given further bailout. And today we had a fairly blanket bailout. Um, the market kind of expected ESCOM, but for the rest of them, for Transnet to now open another ESCOM Pandora box, uh, you can rest assured that the $2 billion will become five. We all know the story of SAA, how it starts with one number and then it sort of becomes a, a moral hazard story. Uh, then Danelle, then Sandro, and so it goes. So I think 
that is the big booby trap in terms of expenditure management. Uh, and of course, ESCOMs, my guess is that they will settle at around 250 billion rand of transferring ESCOMs bet- uh, debt between now and, and February. That would add back to public debt. And so I think there are, there are issues here, but in the short term, all considered, um, at least the, the revenue overrun or better collection of, of SARS uh, was very, very pleasing to the market. And more importantly, and that's my last point, Peter, is that um, um, up to today, the assumption in the market was that all the revenue tax overrun, so to speak, or better collection was all the mining uh, companies and, and commodity prices. Um, the commissioner has fairly um, moderated that, that understanding and, and made the point that financial sector as well as manufacturing have also made contributions and therefore the assumption going forward is that a revived and restored or restoring source is going to uh, enforce more compliance and therefore improve tax morality and, and as such the revenue collection is going to be back on track as opposed to in the past. So that's in that regard, that was the best news of this statement for me. Thanks, Roger. Just a quick, uh, a quick follow-up question. I, I was interested in the fact that he went out of his way, uh, or certainly the, the commissioner did, to say that mining was actually tailing off a little bit. Yes. But um, where I wonder, and if, if uh, Ishmael Mamonia comes on later, we can ask him, where does he mean? What does he mean by manufacturing and finance? Does he mean the banks? And what is manufacturing? Is it is it generalized? I wonder, or is there something specific going on that we should know about? I think my, my understanding, if I read in between the line, um, a lot of uh, insurance companies, short term and long term, and others had made massive losses and provisions for losses that were justifiable. All of those have been partially reversed, and therefore. Therefore, their profitability has improved. Manufacturing, to the extent to the extent that motor manufacturing, particularly, has responded to the global market. That's another area, and some of the petrochemicals and uh, and, and pharmaceutical manufacturing. So, I think all in all, um, the revival in those sectors has meant that they are beginning to unwind some of their provisions, and and therefore contribute to the tax revenue. Yeah. Mama Ketsi Lijani, he, he went on to predict that um, that we could expect economic growth to average around 1.6% for the next three years, which is not great. Um, and he concedes this is too low to support our developmental needs. So he then says, accordingly, and I quote him, we must take action to put our economy on a higher growth trajectory followed by a whole string, Mama Ketsi, of of things that we already know about that aren't doing much good, um, including infrastructure. We've heard um, the chairman recently of, of First Rand complain that there is no infrastructure spend going on. We heard PPC earlier this year complain that they couldn't see any sign of any uh, infrastructure projects going on. When When finance ministers say that when they make these kind of declarations about higher growth path, I mean, how seriously, how seriously did you take what he said today as a statement of real intent? 
Oh, that's a very difficult question, Peter. I think that's the the, the, the fundamental problem with any kind of assumption that one makes um, about this economy or any any um, desire to be more constructive around a lot of outcomes spanning fiscal, um, you know, asset 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 class performance. Um, you know, improving outcomes from a poverty perspective and, and anything. is and, and the problem is really that growth has been, um, you know, anemic, to say the least, for the better part of a decade. Um, you know, they speak about, government speaks about um, infrastructure investment. We know that that's what you need to do um, in order to put the economy on a better growth path. Uh, we've been discussing this for um, since two, 2018 when this new administration started has been the key focus. So, you know, the question about that, though, is how do you sequence um, the reforms that you that you make? So we've got a long menu of reforms, some of which will be higher impact than others. But I think sequencing is critical here. So in an environment where you don't have electricity, and we have to start there. It's a binding constraint on pretty much any kind of large-scale um, expansion of growth that we can think of. And if you do not resolve the issues on the power sector, um, it's very difficult to see how all of the other things are going to come together in a grand way where we can actually put the economy on a better um, economic trajectory. So um, I always think about it as a sequencing issue. There are things that have got to be done first, and um, I always look there first. So for me, if we cannot get electricity and power um, that is more reliable um, and, and, and that is at least um, affordable, um, it's going to be very, very difficult to get that done. And I think, um, you know, one has to you know, acknowledge that there is a focus um, in that area, uh, but uh, we've been waiting for a long time. We'll have to see. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because there are, as we know, I mean that you know there are there are projects now being built to create electricity. A lot of them are embedded, which presumably and and what what you what happens is that the government counts the embedded power being created by private companies, but that's for themselves. I mean, you know, it might be able to um, free up generation capacity when. Uh, when it doesn't, when these companies don't need it themselves, but it's hardly something um, the state could uh, rely on. I mean, if you were to, given that, given that we have a binding constraint, Mamukatsu, what, what is there a workaround? I mean, is there anything you can do given that we we don't, you know, can you reprioritize? Do we, you know, do we work when when is there a way of changing the way that we deal with the reality that we have that can nonetheless get something you know get some sort of activity going um i think we can get like piecemeal solutions here and there um you know the fact that um the generation that we're getting is embedded i don't think really makes much of a difference because on a net basis it's still more power for the economy um mm. so i think that that is a that is a viable workaround but I still think whatever it is that um, we do, it has to be at scale. So when you add up all the embedded generation that's coming on stream, is it sufficient to free up um, power that will then be made available to other parts of the economy? Um, I'm not sure we're there yet. So, and also these things take time um, and there've been so many delays 
um, and we need to get momentum there first. And and uh, and and, and I'm, I, I'm 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 I can't make a judgment one way or the other because one would yeah. like to think that the urgency is shared, uh, but experience has told us that maybe it's not because we're still here after so many years about talking about the issue. Yeah. Lonwabo Makubela, the, the, the finance minister turns to the speaker and says, Madam Speaker, a strong and capable state is a necessary precondition for growth. He says the state is responsible for creating and maintaining an enabling environment for growth and investment. It provides basic services and promotes the rule of law. But then uh, a page or two later, as Iraj was saying, he is, it is not merely creating an enabling environment. It's actively involved in the, in the bowels of the economy. It's giving money to Transnet. It's giving money to Donnell. Um, why can the ANC not s- stop that? What makes it so hard for it to just create the, the playing field and, and walk away from actual operational um, involvement in the economy, if you know what I mean? Uh, no, yeah, uh, I know. Uh, I understand exactly what you mean, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if one looks at the ESCOM example, you know, they've kind of waited until it was forced upon, you know, um, the state in terms of the pri- privatization um, element. And even when you look at some of the plans for like a transnet you know, they talk about allowing access um, onto the network um, for private players. Um, you know, so it's kind of a quasi-privatization. Um, I mean, I'd argue that for many of those um, potential players, they would actually still need to have confidence, um, you know, that the state can deliver on their reduced, um, you know, on, on the reduced mandate. Um, I mean, I, I'd probably say... Why is it hard, you know, for you know, for for government, um, you know, to to walk away? And I'd probably say at the core is a sense of kind of the long term mistrust between the private sector and 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 the uh, public sector, and maybe um, you know the role and the importance of unions, um, you know, in, um, in in the state machinery. So you know that then creates probably a stalemate. Um, that we that we find ourselves in. I mean, one hopes that we won't wait, you know, like ESCOM um, until it's it's kind of too late, um, you know, to to act. And if anything, you know, if, if the ESCOM example goes well, it may create um, it may create some confidence around, you know, the privatization actually, you know, um, could actually end up with more jobs being, you know, being being created. Um, you know, um, as things um, transpire, but yeah, but I mean, I mean, so I mean, I think, you know, to your point, reading the, the, you know, the budget as well as the commitments, um, you know, the all indications are that it's not ready. I mean, we also did have a, I guess, an example of a failure in in Sunral and you know the e tolls and the lack of compliance and potentially one could argue it's how it was done. So that's also maybe a learning. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, you know, in terms of the, I guess, the models of how we we start to reduce the state's impact on the economy, um, you know, it does need to be 
kind of carefully yeah, um, assessed, you know, um, you know, to, to avoid any, you know, the negative outcomes. Thank you, Lonobo. Thank you, Peter. I'll jump in here. My name is Sam. I'm Kokeli. Really an understudy here to uh, the Peter Bruce, a great gentleman. Had the pleasure of working with him uh, during uh, his time at uh, a business day. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Lonobo. I'm just going to jump in here and introduce Ismail Momoniak. Uh, I call him Uncle Momo. You won't let him call him Uncle. Uh, but we've done a lot of these things uh, with Momo in various uh, roles at the Treasury. I think this is the first time he's uh, steered a budget through as the acting director general. Uh, Momo, welcome. Let's see if we can hear you. Please unmute yourself and say a few words. How was it, Momo, uh, the first time uh, steering this through? How different was it uh, to the previous ones, uh, MTBPS budgets you've done? Hi, Sam, and evening to everyone. Um, yeah, no, it was quite different. It was my first time, by the way. I think I acted uh, in 2010 or so. No, before the city became DG t- t- 2005, I think. But um, I think that uh, at least, look, it was a tough MTBPS in trying to, you know, continue on this path of fiscal consolidation. Yes, we were... Uh, it, it helps that uh, on the revenue side, we we doing so well this year um, and that we're able to actually succeed in getting a primary surplus back next year and to stabilize the debt to GDP. Um, and as Peter has said, you know, not to uh, get to the same as uh, quasi... Uh, the, the the chancellor in the former chancellor Quat, in the Quateng. <laughs> Quateng, sorry um uh you know what happened to the UK and in fact we were at the IMF World Bank at the time and he was there um and there was uh, you know a lot of nervousness about firstly what's happening internationally i've never seen such a bleak outcome not even by the way in 2008 during the financial crisis the global financial crisis but clearly the projections are pretty bleak, um, uh, especially if this Russian invasion continues into next year. And what that means for uh, many parts of the world, like Europe in terms of energy, but the impact on uh, emerging economies, obviously the impact of high inflation. Uh, so, you know, the fact that we avoided the the UK um, uh, reaction to their mini-budget, I think, is positive. Uh, I'm not saying that we should be measured by that standard. Um, but, yeah, having done this MTBPS and now that we have we are clearly managing to stabilize debt to GDP, I think it lays the basis for doing what the Treasury should be doing. I think just the other point that's been made, certainly it's one thing to... Uh, make allocations, be able to provide for health, education, policing, infrastructure. But the real challenge is that we're not getting the quality of spending that we need. And I do believe that corruption has become quite entrenched. And, you know, the president made, I think, an important announcement on Sunday night in response to the Zondo Commission's findings 
I think the the challenge we face is now how do we get the quality of spending uh, that will actually ensure that we achieve what we intend when we allocate spending. Gina, could you share with us what your uh, key takeout are in this uh, midterm budget? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everybody. And it's always difficult to do that when, of course, you've got the acting DG on. But, um, I mean, look, I, I think, you know, Treasury has done what it can with what it's got. Let, let me be evident about that. The problem, I think, lies in the fact that we've got so much uncertainty ahead of us. So while I acknowledge that, yes, it's, it's, we've ended up in a very good place because of largely commodity prices, and you can argue we're now seeing revenue take from other areas, but that could also be finally after so long of a commodity price effect, we are seeing a multiply effect in some areas of the economy. Also some very strange base effects, of course, coming off COVID. Um, and I know Peter was talking about the manufacturing uh, sector earlier, and you must remember what a diverse uh, supply chain that is. And it seems like it's the manufacturers that are closest to the mines that um, have benefited more than the manufacturers, you know, uh, later down the supply chain. But not to digress too much, um, you know, I acknowledge that we are in a, b- a better fiscal position. But again, the uncertainty and and, you know, one can't expect Treasury to make these decisions because these are political decisions. But the uncertainty that not even comes with global growth. And I do take the point that I think the concern now is greater than 2007 because it's coming not necessarily as a V-shape, which was 2007-08, right, which is always expected to be a hard landing and then you jump out. The concern now is, you know, never mind the global factors, if we look ahead in South Africa, we still need to take on top of this budget, we need to take into account whatever an ESCOM debt transfer does to debt servicing costs and whether, of course, that transfer itself can help ESCOM operationally perform better, which would be a good offset on growth. We also need clarity, which we'll only get next year, as to which way the wage bill is going You know, I think Treasury has done an unbelievable job over the last few years of drawing a very hard line in the sand. But when we're in high inflationary years, like this year, you know, wage offers tend to go up. So that is an upside risk. And then, of course, also the grant space. You know, we know, when I say we know, all of us economists uh, largely expect that the social relief of distress grant will not expire in March 2024. And I can understand why Treasury has had to roll that out because they're waiting for a decision on basic income support, whatever that might look like, however it might cost. But for now, at least, we roll it out into our medium-term projections. And at a bare minimum, the risk is that it's probably to the upside unless we get very creative in terms of revenue and how to fund it. So I'm not saying that the budget is a train smash, and, and I, that pun is intended because I'm going to end up talking about Transnet. But we have some serious risks on the horizon as a small open economy where we seem to be in a political cycle that means that a lot of our policy decisions and reform issues come down to political decisions that are, I wouldn't say out of the hands of Treasury, but Treasury can only budget on certainty. Now, just to end off on Transnet, the reason I bring that up so much is that, you know, Transnet is, you know, a key example now 
of of what this economy needs. You know, everyone refers to it as potentially the next ESCOM, and we certainly gave it more money as a country today. But Transnet is a good example of why we don't see a greater multiply effect in this economy. Because we have enjoyed, and you can see this through the budgets that just improved with every single budget over the last two and a half years, we improved consistently on our revenue tax take, which was dominated by corporate income tax, dominated by the mining sector, thanks to commodity prices. However, we are not benefiting on the volume size. And from that perspective, we need not just to give Transnet money, but Transnet needs to make sure it becomes operationally efficient. So the capability of running Transnet to ensure we can do more volumes on exports through rail and ports. Now, that is absolutely key. So I'm not going to speak anymore. I've said enough. Back to you, Sam. We, we will we'll come back to you. We'll come back to you, Jean, in a minute, because I think you're absolutely right about Transnet. But I wanted to ask uh, Ishmael Mamoni a, a, a question about South African Airways, because it didn't come up at all, I don't think, or well, very briefly in the in the in the statement today, Ismail, have you have you walked away now from SAA? There's a there's a remark I think I saw um, one of the documents saying government support to repay debt and implement the business rescue plan has resulted in a significant improvement of the airline's balance sheet. Um, the the business rescue plan, I think, is still uh, planned to see another 3.5 billion rand go to. South African Airways, is that now not going to happen? Uh, yes, Bruce. Bruce, we've been talking to the Department of Public Enterprises and the Minister, and certainly I think Cabinet has expressed a, a view on uh, getting through this, I see, the Takatsu deal. Um, uh, we, we have been told there's no... Um, uh, immediate need uh, in this fiscal year. Uh, so we're still engaging on, on SAA. I mean, look, you know, the minister in the budget talked about tough love. And yes, there's been some allocations made this year. And I think that the idea is to um, uh, hopefully and touch wood that to the extent that these allocations are made, that, you know, they're not going to come back. Um, I know that's uh, not not uh, uh, recent history shows that's not the case, but and and for that reason the minister has talked about you know putting in pretty tough conditions, getting an independent review on certainly on ESCOM on Transnet, and I think on SAA to the extent that that deal needs to be closed out, we uh, are engaging with the department. As far as I as far as I understand, I don't want to press it too much because it's a it's a tricky area because um, business day business live are um, uh, are owned by the same person heading the Takatsu Consortium. But my understanding is that the contract or the deal expires at the end of this month. That's a couple of days time, um, and that without the the three point five billion. Uh, there is no deal, uh, and I'm, I'm reassured to hear you say that the minister, or the Department of Public Enterprises, feels that there was no um, no need for funding this year. But you know, the, the interesting thing about SAA is that it's now flying again on its own, and, and there's talk of it buying new air, aircraft. 
Um, and whether the deal goes ahead or not, it will. <laughs> it probably will have to come to you for money again, because as we know, it's you know the airline business is not that profitable. Um, and I would have thought the Treasury would want to have gotten it off its hands as quickly as possible, but it doesn't seem to be doing that. Yeah, look, uh, I'm not sure we got that directly from the Department of Public Enterprises. I know there's been quite a lot of engagement around SAA as well. Um, uh, but yeah, look, I think <laughs> clearly the story is not over. I think that uh, we'll continue to engage in the next month and uh, yeah. Yeah. Ishmael, Peter, can I interrupt you there? Uh, thanks, uh, Momo, uh, for uh, that response. It's quite an interesting point, this. Also, I'm just going to declare that I spent a year at the Public Enterprises Department, so I did a bit of the SAA <laughs> propaganda. If I may, Momo will remember this. So the SAA restructuring through the route it took, a, a business rescue and all of it, it was meant to be a signature move that gives us confidence in how the state will manage the restructuring of the SOEs. So it shows us quite a bit about the culture of decision-making in government, that four years in, uh, this thing is still uh, in limbo. So today we were promised that we would get details on the ESCOM debt and what's going to happen. And we got nothing uh, with respect uh, in the Momo. Saying uh, a third or two-thirds uh, will be taken into the sovereign, uh, doesn't give us any information uh, that uh, we can with. I, I understand the complex nature uh, of these things and uh, what must uh, happen between now and the time you reach your agreements uh, with uh, the lenders uh, and other stakeholders. But I would imagine it's way more complex an issue to manage than the SAA deal. So if the government cannot manage the SAA deal, you're not giving us much confidence on the ESCOM matter, Momo? Yeah, you know, we would have loved to have come out and and uh, finalized the details on um, the actual quantum today. Um, but it has proved to be, uh, well, you know, that there's a whole lot of things that need to be done from a technical perspective. We've got to talk to the other bondholders. We've got the NASA um, uh, decision that's pending in December. Um, and, you know, almost instrument by that instrument by that instrument, uh, uh, it, it requires quite a, it's, it's, there's quite a labored process. Um, and yes, we are hopeful that, and, and the minister is committed to do it by the time of the budget, but we're not the only player here. Uh, this, I mean, the ESCOM one is extremely complex in that sense, and uh, uh, and hence we were able to just indicate the scale. I mean, we're saying we are going to take over debt. We understand that, you know, we want to get the balance sheet of ESCOM right as soon as possible. Um, and of course, I think the ministers also talked about not uh, seeing ESCOM as the sole provider of uh, electricity. Um, uh, and he's talked a lot about, not today, but separating the problem of getting more electricity um, from the question of nursing uh, as compared to health. So, yeah, some of these processes take longer than we like, and we certainly want certainty as soon as possible. But it's, it proved not to be the case in the case of ESCOM. 
And, and I wonder, Momo, if it, if it ever will be, you know. There's so many instances I can remember over the past 20 years where, where people have gone into public enterprises um, or state-owned companies and they've, they've done well to the extent that suddenly they've reported a profit. The balance sheet has, you know, been, been righted and, and uh, the numbers look good. But operationally, um, you don't see quite the same uh, positive effect and you know whether you're talking about Transnet and I clearly remember the way Maria Ramos won lots of praise for the way that she'd fixed Transnet but what she'd mainly fixed I suppose was the was the balance sheet because if you look at the state of Transnet today I mean you know it's part of a long process you, these things don't collapse overnight um, uh, it's a uh, it's in it's uh, I mean nothing in, about Transnet is working well and I'm I was quite surprised really that that Transnet got all the money that it did from you, despite only only doing the most minor um, uh, partnerships with the private sector. Pier two in Durban and the container terminal at at, at Nucha in in near um, in Nelson Mandela Bay. That's hardly anything. I mean, they've given up nothing for the money that you were giving them. Yeah, Peter. Look, you know, I think. You, you know, like when I talked about the quality of spending, I think that, uh, and, and I don't want to just go back to the Zonu Commission and their findings, but essentially I think it's about governance and depoliticizing the process of appointments to boards and to management in, in these SOEs. Uh, and, and, and I think that, you know, if we're going to resolve the problem of our SOEs, we do need to get uh, the politicians out of the operational uh, decisions of these SOEs on one hand and certainly protect and the appointments processes. And, you know, I was glad to see that, that uh, the, the president has outlined this in his response. Uh, uh, I think that we're going to have to go... Uh, uh, f- uh, f- much further to almost guarantee that we prohibit politicians from getting politicizing the process to appoint the board, CEOs, ask hard questions like, uh, uh, you know, once the board decides to appoint, what's the role of cabinet? What's the role of ministers? Uh, uh, so, so, so those are just, just you know, from my own analysis of, of, of of uh, state capture that unless you fix that up and unless you get the right sort of appointments on these boards and you have people who can stand up to government, they're not just applying board, you're not going to yeah. solve the problem of SOEs and politicians are going to be tempted to interfere. Well, that's probably why I took them. Probably why Peter, I took can I? Yeah, Peter, I can I come in? Right. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is this is the right moment. First of all, greetings, Momo. It's good to have you here. Uh, and well done having navigated in this tough environment. Uh, but I think, uh, to me, we are, we are, in a way, dancing around the issues. The issue is that, um, that we've allocated a, a couple of billion rand to, a, to Transnet, which doesn't have a, a competent board. The top executives of that organization, and let me declare that for... Five years I was on the board of Transnet up until 2009, June. So um, I think I know what I'm talking about. The top executives of 
of Transnet as we speak collectively do not have 10 years of business experience collectively in logistics, never mind international logistics. So uh, the fact is we've, we've got a major critical uh, entity that controls our board, export and imports, our rail, cargo rail particularly, and, and it's hamstrung giving them money. I don't know what that money is for, but presumably plugging some holes. Uh, but it's not making the organization fit for purpose. And let me end by just one example. At the moment, South Africa, because of the global conditions and the invasion of, of Ukraine and all the consequences, South African coal export could go up by something in the order of 45 to 50 percent. But Transnet is sleeping right through that. And because they don't know what to do. This is what was put on the table back in April of 2008, where I was there. And the business is prepared to do it because they've got the offtake agreement internationally. And that we are talking about a non-fiscal private sector injection of about 20 billion on the rail extension and a concurrent um, 15 to billion rand of, of mining investment. That single decision on its own today would have brought in in the next 24 months 40 billion rand of investment into a much needed infrastructure in the country. But neither the board of Transnet is is aware of what I'm talking about. If I make a presentation, they, they wouldn't understand it and nor does the management. Why are we doing this? Why are we heading, setting up these institutions to become another bigger ESCOM? That's my question. And can I just can I just ask Mama Kete Lijani as well before you before you respond, Mama? Um, Mama Kete, uh, the, the the point is raised. You know, we're giving money to 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 companies that are already badly run. Um, uh, Transnet, I think the Transnet board was left after Jabu Mabuza died. Was left for more than two and a half years, untouched, and 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 not all that competent. Um, how, what what do you think, Mamakete? It must have an effect. What do you what would you say to um, the acting director general of the National Treasury about the way he spends his money? Um, no, I'd like to first say, you know, well done to Mama um, for the job they did with this budget. I think they walked uh, a very fine line. Actually, the past two years, I think Treasury has managed to wrestle. Um, quite a bit of ground, um, you know, in terms of just capturing some of the um, some of the the, the 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 gains that they had on the revenue side to try and stabilize that. And I think meant that debt trajectory that was going up to a hundred hundred percent of GDP um, two years ago, and now we got it going to 70, probably goes up to 75 if you add ESCOM, etc. So I think they've done a fantastic job. Um, pleasantly surprised, not by margin, but I was pleasantly surprised by the numbers that were presented today. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, issues of, of state-owned entities, um, I think the first kind of like time when we had a shock coming from a state-owned entity that reverberated, um, at least in the bond markets where I mostly spend my time, um, that, that I can remember. I mean, you had the ESCOM shock that we kind of had from 20, 2008 onwards. 
But I think 2019 was a very instructive year where we had a budget trajectory and then ESCOM came through and they needed, um, you know, like um, a whole, I think it was north of 100 billion um, over a relatively short space of time. And it really derailed um, the budget quite a bit. And um, we now sitting in a, in, a, in a similar kind of position, maybe with smaller numbers now, uh, with respect to Transnet barely um, three years later. I think it's very, 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 very difficult, uh, if not close to impossible, to have um, you know any kind of credibility um, on fiscal policy if these things keep coming out, because nothing is predictable. None of these are predictable. And, 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 and Treasury will say, well, we practicing tough love, but we all know that the desire not to transfer versus when the need arises and, and, and the push to do so, um, you know, it, it's going to be overwhelming and Treasury invariably has to give the money to these entities. Um, and I suppose for me, uh, what I would like to get a sense of from, 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 from Momo is what what is what does treasury really mean when they say tough love and what levers are available to treasury outside the rest of the outside the rest of government to lean into these things because we know if transnet needs money you're going to give them money um so when you say tough love what does that really mean what levers have you got mama go ahead those great questions from iraj and mama kete yeah no thanks look i mean as i said you know the the big issue in South Africa, I think, is that and and by the way, some of it precedes state capture. Is that you know we've really b- politicized pretty straightforward processes like appointing boards, uh, and you know it and we take forever to solve problems. You know one of the things I think that that we saw in recent years is. Can the state make decisions quickly enough? Uh, so, you know, we have a problem of uh, state capture, but it takes us many years just to get the bare minimum of do we have a board that's honest? And as Irad says, you know, having, he didn't say this, but it's one thing to have an honest board. You still need a board that's actually going to understand the business and make b- the business decisions that are needed for the entity to function. Um, uh, so, you know, I, it's, it's difficult to answer. I think we, we need to, to look at the processes and get quick decisions to, to get the right sorts of appointments. If we have the wrong appointments, we're not going to be able to, to proceed. We've certainly seen with Transnet, we've had the mining sector come to us saying, you know, had they been able to export more, they, they've lost, you know, they would have been able to do 50 billion rands worth. It would have meant... Uh, you know, another 20 billion of revenue, etc. And and it it is frustrating that you know we 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 can't resolve and make uh, clear business decisions on on these matters. And of course, we have pretty much uh, many areas of holy grail that just can't be touched. I mean, where tough decisions have uh, need to be made to get some of the state-owned entities to be in 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 better shape. Um, uh, obviously, you know, what is tough love? I mean, I wish that tough love could be tougher, but we live in a particular political environment. And uh, I think I've said more than enough about the, the political environment and its involvement in operational issues. Um, and, uh, you know, 
looking, as I said, what the president said, you know, can we uh, actually implement the response to the Zondo Commission? Because if we don't fix up our politics, we're not going to fix up these entities. That's clear to me and clear to us in the Treasury. Uh, to the extent that we are coming up with uh, these allocations, yes, these are, you know, not uh, uh, in an ideal world, there would be more optimal solutions that we could put forward. Uh, but uh, we've got to operate, I guess, in the environment that we are, even as we push back on some of these trends. So the issue of fixing up the SOEs is not purely a technical exercise, but I think uh, uh, deep political issues will have to be dealt with uh, um, uh, to make sure that the po po that our politics stops interfering. I think in the business decisions of SOEs, whether it's in appointments, whether it's putting in other provisions on how they procure, where they procure, etc. So I'm afraid I can't answer the <laughs> these uh, you know the question fully. I think. Um, the Treasury has tried to, I guess, make the best decisions. And, you know, I say the worst thing to have is to have what I call zombie SOEs. You know, they, they, they're there, they live, they never die. They're just going to come back every year for more and more money. And they can't do the obvious. That we need to take the hard decisions that need to be made in many instances. Um, yeah, let, let me stop there. I, I don't I have this. I think, I think Gina has got her hand up. Yes. Um, so, Momo, I just wanted to also say thank you for today's budget um, and, and good luck on, on the next one. Um, just in regards to wrapping this all up on the SOEs and Transnet, when you give more money to an SOE, and I, I know we're using this Transnet example a lot today because of, of the budget today, but is there an actual process of looking at what the potential fiscal multiplier is to the economy of giving an SOE money, in other words, what gains can we make? You know, will it actually allow us to export more? Or is it more of a case of the economic costs or the opportunity costs of not doing it? In other words, if we don't give the money, we'll see a SOE fail and that will have negative consequences across the economy. So which one of those tends to win out? Um, you know, I guess... You know, in any situation where you operate with the politics, it tends to be the more short term of what's going to happen now rather than, you know, more medium to long term. And it's always a battle, I guess, to get uh, in a political environment thinking beyond just what's now. Uh, you know, I say uh, to many, they say, you know, gear fail. Well, actually government was willing to make the tough decisions and reap benefits for many years thereafter. And, and uh, uh, the ability to make tough decisions now for the future is the ideal. Um, not sure if it really answers your question, Gina, but um, I think that the danger is that the short term almost always wins out unless... Uh, you have, um, uh, you know, a, a, a strong treasury and a strong oversight system. I, I can say that I think with the minister we have, he's, man, he's, he's really prepared to, to make the bold decisions. Um, 
So, you know, that's a positive. Doesn't answer your question. These are complicated issues. And, uh, yeah. Um, thank you, Momo. I just wanted to tell people who are listening to us and who are with us, and thank you very much that you can... Um, you can you can engage in the conversation by asking to speak on on the on the Twitter space or um, uh, through Twitter itself. Just tag Business Live SA. I wanted just to quickly ask Lonwaba Mokabela a question that occurs to me, Momo, as you were talking. And Lonwaba, I wonder whether you think in South Africa, and I've got the UK in mind as a, as a as a as a, as a, a comparison, whether the finance minister is politically powerful enough in South Africa to do what a Chancellor of the Exchequer might be able to do in the UK. We, it seems to me to be, and I might be being completely unfair, that, that, that what happens in South Africa is that the finance minister is a sort of banker to other ministers who make policy. Um, and in the UK, the Chancellor seems to have a much bigger sort of say or clout in in the economy than the finance minister does here. It's all very well financing X or Y. But, you know, some ministers have truly wacky ideas that they bring, I'm sure, to 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 cabinet. I don't know. Do we have do we have a tre does our treasury have enough clout, Lonwaba? What do you think? Yeah, it's uh almost um yeah definitely I think a, a very good question. But Maybe before I, I touch on it, um, you know, I was thinking kind of as everyone was speaking that, um, you know, part of the issue is not whether or not, in my view, um, I mean, obviously you've got to have controls in place, but once you decide that you're going to back ESCOM in its current state and back Sanral, um and back Transnet, then actually I think the quicker you do it, you know, um, the better it is. You know, so if one thing, for example, how much money you know, has ESCOM spent paying interest when arguably if the decision had been made much earlier, you know, we would be in a different place today. Or you take, for example, the water crisis that everybody said, you know, was coming. If, you know, if the decision is to back the water boards, then actually the decision needs to be made sooner. You know, so, I mean, obviously, again, we've got to put the right controls in place. But, you know, in, you know, I, I, I actually just generally look at companies and often the bigger issue is not so much that a company gets into a problem, it's that they don't then act quick enough, you know. So I'd probably just say what's more critical going forward is, you know, that we we act with, with greater kind of urgency and speed. I mean, I think in the past, with respect to your question, you know, the finance ministers, you know, if one thinks back to maybe Tito Mboweni and ultimately why did he, I mean, we don't know the details, but why did he ultimately um, leave? Was probably he disagreed a little bit to some degree with the direction that things were going and he kind of felt he couldn't influence it enough. Um, we know, you know, when Mr. Goran was, was also um, the, uh, you know, the, the finance minister, there was a lot of tension amongst the different ministers where they kind of felt that they were the super minister. You know, so now I guess it's a political issue, it would be fair to say. I mean, you you know, that you've got to somehow manage, you know, all the different ministries, um, which I actually think that is being done quite well, um, you know, um, um, currently. Um, I mean, there are, I think if one kind of reads through the budget, one of the key maybe areas of disagreement would be this um, basic income, income grant. 
um, which in all likelihood and all direction, it looks like it's here to stay. I mean, um, we're kind of in year three or four now, um, you know, of this of the relief package. Um, and, and the reason why I guess it keeps rolling is that there's clearly a pushback from the Treasury, you know, in, in terms of um, allowing it to be long term. So those are some of those, I guess, one would, could read in between the lines, um, you know, areas where one would say that the Treasury is actually, um, you know, um, pushing its or punching above its weight um, in that regard. Um, and then there probably are more, there probably are more examples that one can, um, um, you know, can, can outline. Um, I mean, I guess maybe to conclude, I'd say in the past, we did have, um, you know, Treasury did have um, more, um, or did push its weight a lot more that didn't actually work out in the end, you know, if we look at where we find ourselves today. So probably one that's a lot more engaging um, is more likely to succeed, I would say. Yeah, thanks for that, uh, Lonwaba. We also have on the line um, uh, Peter Attard Montalto from IntelliDex and a Business Day columnist as well. And I'm sure uh, in the middle of, uh, besides what he wants to talk to us about, I'd also like to hear him uh, answer the question about whether our treasury is politically strong enough. Peter, hi. Hello, good evening. Um, I think it's a fascinating MTBPS, and I find myself remarkably positive, even seeing an awful lot of risk going forwards. Um, you know, there's probably uh, an extra you know, 30, 40 billion to be put in the wage bill for next year. There's maybe a bit of extra spending. Uh, on other grants, etc. But yeah, there's a little bit of wriggle room here. Uh, if we look at the primary balance being penciled in, you know, you can still get to a much, much better place than we were contemplating, even in 2019, I think, um, uh, with some of these risks crystallizing um, overall. Um, and I think there's obviously a lot of very interesting uh, buffer put in. There's some very large uh, buffers in the altitude fiscal years put in that would allow the continuation of the SRD grant or could be used up by uh, the wage bill. So it, it's a very interesting budget, I think, for the market in those terms. You could potentially do and have a lot of optionality around the amount of debt that's issued, the amount of local government bond debt uh, that is issued in the market. Maybe even see a little cut next year. Treasury was feeling a little uh less uh less conservative uh maybe but to your to your question um peter i suppose uh sort of frames into a question for for momo uh is is you know i think treasury has has been able to hold a certain line which is that if you can't prove that what you want to spend the money on you're going to spend it and it's for something good then the conversation sort of collapses. Um, and I think it's interesting. We've seen more underspending ratcheting in in both the monthly budget outcomes and in this MTBPS. Uh, and we should reflect that many other countries, particularly emerging markets, have very large electoral fiscal cycles. You see massive spending into an election. And that doesn't happen in South Africa really at all. I mean, maybe there's some risk now with this uh, contested election coming up. But I suppose that's the, the question maybe Peter throw to, to Momo. What... Why, why maybe do you have an easier job than many other emerging markets? How, how do you manage to avoid these very large uh, sorts of electoral uh, fiscal, fiscal targets? Is it the three-year MTF cycle? Uh, is it the constitution, the, the PFMA? What, what's the, the secret source? I think that would be a, an interesting question. There you go, Momo. 
<laughs> I don't know, Peter, but thanks for your uh, for for your input. Um, yeah, look, you know, I think the question that Peter's, well, both Peter's, uh, um, that Peter asks about is a tragedy strong enough? I mean, I think it's very important to understand um, the role of the tragedy within a government. And I think it's a fair question. There are times when you have a stronger influence and times not. And the critical issue is always the relationship between the minister and the uh, and 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 the president, um, uh, and you know, when I said that, I think we've got quite a firm hand at the treasury. We're able to. I think we've got quite a, a, a young and and really very promising team. Um, uh, not afraid to to engage and uh, uh, say things which uh, sometimes irritate others because. You know, unless uh, people have a clear case for more funding uh, and for the projects that are on the table, um, you know, they're not going to yield easily. That doesn't mean that we win all our uh, all on all the issues, but we we try not um, hide the message. So if you have an SRD grant that's going to become permanent, uh, then we've said that you've got to then find a tax instrument to raise the funds to pay it. You, 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 what you can't do, and in a case, in a sense, that's the UK's issue, that you can't have more spending and, and you know, not raise the revenue for it. I mean, the markets are going to, to react very negatively. Um, so, you know, th- those sorts of messages, I think, have been put out, have been put within cabinet. I'm not saying that Everyone, every minister or DG or department agrees. There's always a lot of pressure. But in this particular budget, as I said, you know, just sticking the line to the line on expenditure and, 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 and forcing, I think, government to understand the trade-offs at all stages is critical if we are going to make the right decisions and having a vision for growth. Um, I mean, certainly having mediocre growth the last 10 plus years, I think, has, has put us in a very difficult place. Things, and, 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 it's, and it's a bit odd that, you know, we don't look as bad today. We've actually, our situation seems to have improved precisely at the time when the world, as I said, uh, is, is looking pretty bleak. Um, so I don't think we should rest on our laurels, I think, uh, you know, all countries are, you know, we face big enough challenges like climate change. Um, we've just recovered from COVID. So, you know, what's the best way forward? It's tough to say there's too much uncertainty. Um, and yeah, there are things that keep us awake at night. But I think given all these challenges this time around and given how SARS is performing, um, we've been able to, I think, find, uh, you know, a balance that uh, does lay the basis, I think, for a good budget next year and over the next three years. Momo, can I ask you, um, just sort of leaving the subject of the statement today, whether we can do enough, whether we've got enough time to stave off a grade listing uh, by the Financial Action Task Force? 
Yeah, Peter, I'm still not optimistic. Look, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be very tough. But I'm still very hopeful that we will avoid the grayless, um, tough as it's going to be. I think that if we get the two uh, bills before Parliament in, we're going to be seen to what FATF calls technically comply with the 40 FATF recommendations. And yeah. we'll need some regulations and so on. And I think that's a giant step forward. Now, I'm hoping that that forms a basis then for us to argue that on the 11 effectiveness measures, that for each one of them, we've made good progress on some much more than others. And we'll have to present a report uh, around the, uh, towards the end of November, uh, towards the end of next month. We will then be yeah. having lots of engagements in, in December and January with the Secretariat. And I'm still hopeful. And, you know, even if, if we don't succeed, I think that if we can really narrow the issues to um, one or two effectiveness measures and it's clear that there's a quick path out. Uh, I don't think that the response will be that negative. So how Fatah will message um, the the uh, uh, what, what the what outcome is? So, what, is. What, yeah, what is so complex Sorry. about what they're asking us to do? Why is it taking so long? Well, I mean, you know, the issue is not on the legislation. The issue is really the effectiveness. So if you look at the effectiveness, it's saying, for example, there's three of them, what they call IOs 6, 7, and 8. It's to what extent is your criminal justice system working effectively? To what extent do you uh, investigate people? Uh, how many of those need to uh, people being charged? How many people actually get convicted? Um uh, how do your asset for future processes work? Then there's, um, and, and, and in a sense, I think we all have that frustration. Is our criminal justice system geared up to deal with sophisticated financial crimes? Um, then you have another tranche of effectiveness measures related to terror financing. I think that we could easily achieve some of those. But again, it depends on how your secret services and others function. I think just looking at the threat that comes from the U.S. or the alert that the U.S. Um, uh, government has put out on some potential threat in Santon on Saturday, uh, you hope that our authorities have developed the links to understand why the U.S. government is saying what it's saying uh, and that we have the mechanisms to deal with such threats. I think the other ones are related more to our financial sector regulators I'm, I'm hopeful that they'd be able to show there's a risk-based approach and that we can start showing that we've got a reasonable action plan to implement beneficial ownership measures um, and ultimately that we have a coherent uh, national uh, risk assessment plan and strategy to deal with things and people are not just working in an ad hoc manner. In a way, if we do all of that, it's in our interest to do so and we'll be improving our capability to deal with financial crimes. And we won't have to have achieved all of that by February. But I think if we can show that we've made some progress and we committed enough and, uh, yeah, 
So, so that's why I remain hopeful. I've not taken grey listing as a fait accompli. Yes. And can I ask, is the Treasury involved in the negotiation to secure this $8.5 billion um, um, just transition loan from the US, UK and the EU? Yes, we are. We are represented yes. on the committee that there is in government that's led by the presidency. And, yeah. you know, yeah. So you, you'll, be, you'll be going to um, Cairo in next month sometime, um, or the team will, with a plan um, to raise this money. And I just wonder to what extent um, we we and the and the lenders understand each other. Are we going to are we are we going to demand soft loans or you know do we have do we, what what sort of what sort of clout do we have in this negotiation? Um, uh, people don't part with eight point five billion dollars easily. No, precisely. And look, being in a treasury, I've heard of many, many billions that will be coming our way, not just for climate change, for everything else. And certainly, I think it's good that we have someone like Daniel Manelli to lead on this. Yeah, uh, excellent. So we take the na- naivety out of this that, you know, uh, somebody's waiting, dying to give us money. I think, yeah. you know, what I think this relates much more to the fact that, uh, uh, developing countries, of course, have talked about being assisted to effect this transition towards cleaner technologies and and a greener future. And, uh, you know, when we were out at the IMF World Bank uh, two weeks back, uh, you know, many countries are watching. Will the advanced economies really come to the party on this $8.5 billion to South Africa? And what will that mean? Can that be ex- extended to other emerging economies? Um, and in a sense, the credibility even of the advanced economies is, is at stake here. I won't be going to Egypt myself, but obviously a lot of the team will be going and the minister intends to go. And I think as we announced, there are two, they're still relatively small deals of three, uh, of 600 million euros. Um, of very concessional funding. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, but uh, yeah, let's see what, what really comes up. Uh, but it's not I wanted to, I, yeah. I wanted to ask Iraj Abedian whether he would, whether he would lend South Africa, given the fact that we have Gwede um, uh, taking soundings off the coast for oil and gas and God knows what, whether he would lend us $8.5 billion um, uh, uh, for a just transition to cleaner energy. Yeah, uh, Peter, I think, uh, uh, first of all, the just transition is an oxymoron of logic that I've ever heard. There is nothing more unjust about uh, avoiding jobs, avoiding growth, avoiding investment, and calling it just transition because Ramaphosa and, and Guede Mantash come from ex-union and they haven't... Uh, in a way, uh, check the facts ever since. So I think this is a very important question. I would, I would definitely lend, but I would put a big condition. None of it should go through the state. It should be put into yeah. a national fund to be available to investors who want to do uh, uh, generation using sustainable technology. 
if it's going to go to Eskom and Praveen Gordon gets on heard of it and uh, then makes conditions for his friends to be on a board and to use it and then uh, Gwedem and Tarsh comes with puffing and huffing about uh, clean stuff. It's going to be a disaster second to none and liability will be left for the national fiscal to sort out. That would be my condition. Yeah, Mama Katie Lejani, what about you? Would you um, would you lend us the money? <laughs> would, I, would I lend you the money? Um, I think you know. I, I would say you know when you when you're doing project financing and you're lending into a project, um, you know that is properly governed and properly um, you know what's the word ring fenced. Um, I, I wouldn't see why not. Uh, but it is the governance around any kind of projects, um, any other, any kind of money that is transferred into the economy, I think uh, we now know is critical. Um, and to the extent that you're not borrowing into the fiscus, you're borrowing for specific or you're lending for specific use. And you can isolate that and identify that. Um, yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. Longbaba, what about you? Do you are you, do you we, we're still a safe bet, do you reckon? No, I, I, echo, know, I, echo, <laughs> I echo um, Mamoketa's comments just on the project finance and you can place conditions. I mean, for me, I guess, actually, I have a slightly different f- philosophical view in that should we take the money, right? And yeah. when I think about South Africa, our heavy kind of reliance, um, you know, on, um, on, on minerals and metals, et cetera, and how quickly do we want to um, transition? I mean, we've got to do it. Um, but I think, you know, the, the timing should be dictated by our own terms. Um, you know, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd even argue that, you know, after maybe a century of, you know, um, of having missed on the oil boom, we finally have potential and it's going to be too late, you know, which, uh, which I guess you could argue is unfortunate for the country. Um, so I, I mean, I'd, I'd argue actually that we, we should dictate the terms under which are favorable for us in terms of the transition. Yeah. Peter, Peter Montalto, what about you? I mean, what, what, what conditions would you put on $8.5 billion for a clean, clean energy transition here? Well, this has been a pet topic of mine since this sort of process started and I was in Glasgow. And... I think it's been a ginormous distraction is my main fear. Um, I think it's completely distracted government and others and the, even the private sector uh, of this is some mysterious magic pot of money. Uh, when actually we know the issues around the transition, we know the unlocking that has to happen around the grid, which is one of the largest uh, issues in these financing. We know the uh, decommissioning costs and uh, ESCOM itself has been getting on signing uh, World Bank ACT financing that's just been signed. Uh, to do that, which is outside the JTP um, deal. So it's been the distraction has has worried me a lot more. And yeah, this is a 30-year process that's going to be incredibly expensive. The private sector needs to get on and finance this. Uh, the interesting bits like new renewables, like EVs, the private sector can finance. And the state uh, needs to get on with international help to fund things like transmission. And we're going to actually have it. It's going to release tomorrow a new transmission development plan, uh, which will show about $150 billion required and that that's really where i think the focus should be as opposed to this relatively small amount of money in the context of 30 years of transition momo the if the money is not 
Well, there are no conditions yet, and nobody's. We don't know what's in the plan, or the public doesn't know what's in the plan. Um, but I presume that stability in the executive at ESCOM um, would be would be would be key to us getting this money um, over over time. I think you know the the, the prospect of of um, Andre Dureza being fired for. Uh, whatever reason, polit- you know, maybe political, maybe um, uh, justified. But he had a lot to do with raising the money in the first place, or raising the idea of the money in the first place. How important do you think he is to us getting a secure, uh, to us securing them? You know, the eight point five. Yeah, Peter. As as I've said, being in a treasury, I'll wait for those pledges to come through. But mm. I think, as the other Peter has said, you know, the 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 quantum that we're going to need to adjust, I think, is is far higher. The World Bank's just done a recent study, and and I mean, this is a tiny amount for just the adjustment that South Africa and will have will, will have to make. To the extent that the, the funds come through, I guess, uh, um, you know, it depends on on what, what what is there to fund. I'm not, I mean, I think uh, Andre Dureta has played a, a role, but, you know, all of us, if we're not there, you still hope that uh, as long as ESCOM and certainly the South African government are seen to be able to uh, spend those funds effectively um, and be able to pay back, because most of them are going to be be in the form of some form of concessional loans and not grants. Uh, so having stability and capability at ESCOM is going to be important and they certainly have to deliver on a number of areas for us to be able to effect the transition away from coal. Yeah. Um, uh, people are very happy to take uh, input from uh, from listeners if you want to if you want to speak up or talk to any of the economists or talk to the director, acting director general at the, at the National Treasury. Now's your opportunity, um, uh, Sam. Uh, you, politically, um, you have a, quite a nice feel, and you always have had um, for for why things happen when they happen. Why is Transnet suddenly in on the radar? Why why is why are they suddenly getting the money? I know. That you know there are problems in the ports and all that kind of stuff, but they've been they were there last year as well. I mean, we've had lousy ports for a long time. Um, what are the politics behind it, Sam? Sam is down apparently. Um, well, let me ask it. Let me ask it. Let me ask uh, 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 in another way. I mean, I come to you, Iraj. The Transnet clearly needs help. Uh, it's broken. And it's been breaking for a long time. I remember my father was a building contractor in Antarctica when I was growing up. And he was not allowed to even carry a bag of nails from East London to Antarctica in his car. It had to come on the railways. And, you know, over the years, I guess that rigidity has loosened and we've become more modern, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the decline of the rail of rail in, this, in South Africa has probably been going on for a long time. Um, why now, though, do you think 
the need to give it 1.9 billion or 2.9 billion suddenly occurred? Why not last year? Why not, you know, year after next? Well, I think a typical uh, way that uh, state enterprises runs these shows is that it waits and waits until it reaches the point of absolute uh, collapse. And the fact that last month they had this uh, uh, strike that paralyzed uh, the, the fruit export to South Africa and was was, was really uh, heralding a f- phenomenal disaster hit if it goes into December when South African uh, table grapes worth hundreds of, of, of millions of dollars are at risk, um, never mind the mining side. So I think uh, it was a, a situation that uh, Transnet hadn't uh, anticipated, which which everybody else was worried about, but the management was completely snoozing through the job and the board. So they they saw that the, the damage that the 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 strike did, uh, uh, and they don't have the money. So and if they don't, it's going to uh, put a lot of export at risk. Um, already, um, various associations, citrus association, and other farming, especially and 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 pharmaceutical and vehicles and and everything else, is saying they've already lost billions that they can never recover, and therefore it was a good platform for state enterprises to go to treasury and say, look, uh, we're facing disaster, um, bail us out. But I can tell you now that unless Transnet is, and I'm saying it with the greatest respect with the DG here, that unless Transnet is within the next six months completely populated with a board that understands business, not politically correct and all the other stuff, um, be heading for a bigger disaster than ESCOM. It's a serious issue. Minister Gordon has said himself that the upgrading of our ports requires 150 billion rand. Um, and that's only one way to get it, not to the treasury. And the final point is that three months ago when they did the rating of 144 ports globally, transnet operations came, uh, Durban was 143 and Cape Town was 141 in that order. So it's a disaster that, that that we're facing and we need to really as a nation not leave it to the national treasury to do the job. It's a very serious issue for jobs and, and sustainability. Uh, Mama, can, you can, must I, can I just interject there also, um, and Peter just talking to Transnet and um, the, the kind of red flags. Um, I think Transnet had to re... Um, they had a maturity, a bond maturity earlier on this year that they needed to um, refi refinance and they struggled to refinance um, that loan um, they left it a little bit late if I remember correctly and um, by the time they wanted to do it the markets were were kind of closed but even then I um, mean the, there were there was already um, um, signals I think at the time that something was a little bit awry um, and if you look at transnet now um, I think they need to repay about 27 billion worth of bonds in their next fiscal year or their next financial year. And it's not clear how they'll be able to do that with all these question marks um, around the, finan- the, the financial sustainability. So I think um, even just in the short term, um, the issues of refinancing debt, et cetera, 
are going to, to, to quite pressing. And I think it's probably a problem that needs to be addressed by Treasury um, at the budget. Thanks, Mama Katia. Well, thank you for bringing that up. I mean, um, Momo, how does... How do you deal with this? this is cascading crisis? You know, we we may soon run out of petrol. We don't, we can't refine petrol here any longer. So we can't just buy crude and refine it. We have to buy the we have to buy the refined product. It's just it's like a, a huge wave coming at you. Yeah, P- Peter, it's uh, you're really putting me in the spot tonight. Look, I, I mean, clearly we've got to get transnet working. There's just no other option and. You know, Iraj is, uh, I mean, broadly, I think what Iraj says, I think is right, that you, you need uh, uh, at all times board and management to be alive to the uh, pressures and be making the right business decisions to resolve this. If we, we, we just don't have any space for any further failures. I mean, we saw that even with... Uh, the shortage of jet fuel a few weeks ago. Um, I think that this, you know, is an area that we, you know, I can only say as treasury that we going to, we have been interacting with Transnet and, you know, we intend to do so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Peter, Peter Attard has just sent me a note saying we don't need to get Transnet to work. We need it to step back, get out of the way. Peter, do you want to defend that? Uh, sure. Um, no, I mean, I think the point is, what is the system in the long term that is ultimately going to drive productivity, trade, and FDI? And it's not the current system we have, right? And we've seen this with the pickle that we've got into on third-party rail access in particular. Uh, even on the ports concessioning is more complicated than it looks on the surface. And I think we just have to have these very simple policy end goals in mind, which is the, uh, the logistics sector, however it's parceled between state and private sector, has to be able to deliver on its function. It's, it's ultimately as, as simple as that. But I think a lot of people, I'm glad we've focused on Transnet and Gina brought it up and everyone brought it up. This is this crisis, I think, both operational and financial, that uh, people have ignored for far too long. Those shedding is a much easier thing to alight on that people feel every day. Yeah. Sam, what are the politics of this? Why, why, why is this all so hard? Why is it all so slow? I think we're all being incredibly kind here, uh, Peter, and being positive yeah, about well, a very negative situation. Now's your opportunity to not be. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very negative uh, situation. I think Mamkete paints a picture uh, of uh, these cascading problems you're referring to, uh, Peter. These issues are very obvious uh, issues. I mean, uh, Momo would see this thing on his uh, dashboard uh, when he looks at uh, the debt uh, that is going to mature uh, when. But this decision would obviously be very difficult for him and other technocrats uh, to take because uh, the leadership at the top isn't great. And we, we're we struggling with a very simple a decision, and these things will have far serious uh, consequences for a moment's job uh, one, and also generally our standing. You know, our budget system is a globally hailed; uh, it's transparent, uh, it's predictable. But I wonder if the MTEF uh, doesn't lose its shine over a longer period because it's going to be hard to predict very predictable things. And following an example, the. COVID grant, the others call it the Ramaphosa grant, uh, will be made a, a, a permanent grant 
2024, in time for the ANC manifesto, there will be more uh, uh, pressure on Momo and others to make political decisions. The pressure isn't where it could be uh, right now because the ANC politicians are distracted. They're busy fighting for survival of the ANC uh, conference. Come 2024, there will be more pressure to promise uh, housing, uh, more grant, and also at the level which you peg the uh, the SGR, you probably will see a Momo being put under pressure to increase uh, the grant from the 350. Uh, so I don't see that grant uh, going away. So part of the problem we have in, in the announcement today is the fiscal U-turn made on the Gauteng Etoles. Fine, there was no other way, uh, uh, perhaps. But it's something the ratings agencies have been warning us uh, for, for 10 years, at the very least. In 2012, Fitch, SNP said, there's going to be a problem uh, with this. We're going to struggle to trust uh, your word and whether or not it's worth uh, 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 anything when you put it on paper and say this is the government position. So it was always predictable that we're going to have a problem uh, with the uh, central matter because uh, the debt for the freeway, I mean, uh, it's a government uh, guarantee. So the biggest thing here is just the culture of this, uh, the decision-making. And all of it is political. We do not have a strong political leadership that can map out where economic policy must go uh, in this country. This is actually one of the biggest things. So it's hard globally to predict things. For example, the budget table in February uh, it was tabled in a totally different environment. Uh, six months later, here, here we are. So we are being kind about a very difficult, very slow political uh, implosion we're seeing uh, out of uh, the ANC and the cabinet. Uh, that is nowhere. You just really, we, I mean, we are cabinet-less. Cabinet uh, we don't have strong leadership at the top. We don't know where we're going. So Momo and his colleagues have to move around a little money to I've lost my point. And to hear what the listeners might want to say as well. If anybody is keen, put up your hand, the request to be a speaker. Thank you. Anybody else want to come in? Uh, Mom Kete? I mean, you guys are being incredibly kind about a complex, painful estate. And it's a, it's a continuing uh, nightmare where growth can't even get to 2%. And the Treasury is being very kind and optimistic uh, in its uh, predictions uh, uh, here. Even the other issue is the, the labor uh, labor deal. The government wants to implement a 3% increase in a high inflation uh, environment. And that's a one-year deal, by the way. Uh, it means next year you're going to have uh, to do uh, the same thing and uh, trying to negotiate uh, with labor. And part of it is not government's problem. I mean, labor has many struggles uh, of their own. So we are in a terrible situation of poor leadership right across uh, South Africa. So Momo... Uh, I guess we've got to uh, sympathize uh, with uh, the the technocrats and the treasury. Um, I mean, some. I mean, let me just let me just put in my two cents. I mean, just to agree a little bit with you there. Um, you know, the way I kind of characterize where we've gone, we've gone from having a predictable incremental fiscal policy that it was that 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 one could predict and you could see oh this changes and that changes and it cascades in these ways and you could change this and it moves on to the next year um to one way from one year to the next you have a lot of um questions that that remain unanswered 
Um, so the way I characterize it is it's like we've moved from a contract um, deal to a pay-as-you-go. So each year you kind of look at the situation and say, okay, what have we decided on um, labor? We've moved from multi-year price determination to year-on-year deals. You've got ESCOM and all the SOEs. You never know from one year to the next what you're going to get. Um, and then you've got some of the big ticket items like the 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 the, the income grant, for instance, which um, you know has been extended now for a year, even though we all know it's going to uh, push through into the outer years as well. So you, we've definitely gone from um, you know a more credible, more predictable, more believable um, you know budgeting process to one where we're very reactionary. Um, and, and therefore you become less strategic and it, it, it's reflective really um, on the budget. But like you say, I don't think that's a function of who's at Treasury and how they apply themselves and how they apply their minds and their ability. It's, it's, it, it's, it's more symptomatic of what is happening um, in the broader political economy. Uh, Iraj, anything there? There may be input from you, but also Momo, Momketa uh, likes that, you know, this pay-as-you-go uh, type of uh, planning. I completely agree with you. I mean, that's how I, I'm seeing it. Uh, Momo, perhaps uh, you have a, a, another view, but just again, anybody else is, is welcome to make input here. There's usually uh, the uh, bottom left uh, on your screen, something that looks like a microphone. You're welcome to a click and request uh, to be a speaker. We'll make sure that you hand out the mic uh, to make uh, input in this uh, wonderful uh, conversation. Feel free to jump in. Uh, tell us that we're smoking our socks. You've got a different view. But hey, Momo, are you there, Iraj? Any inputs? Yeah. No, I think I couldn't have said any better. Pay as you go is going to be the byline of this conversation. Uh, but that is the absolute opposite of what fiscal framework in South Africa was set up and was doing brilliantly for uh, nearly 12 years or so. Uh, and, and really, this is not the way to do fiscal policy, especially uh, in, in, a, in the developmental economy that we are. We need to have medium, uh, medium-term plans. We need to have credible medium-term plans. And the fact that the cabinet has degenerated in terms of its fiscal intelligence that goes from day to day, year to year, has to be a, a very serious concern technically. We are heading from, we are heading to a situation where we pay as you go, but a crisis augmenting along the way. That would be my warning shot. Thank you. Momo, I'm keen to hear uh, what you have to say about this, that pay as you go, uh, planning and I'm, I'm worried about the mtf maybe you can persuade me uh, that the mtf and the framework is uh, is a strong and a weekend but I'm, I'm finding it hard that uh, that economists and the investors and other people who watch these things closely will be able to plan for it for me we have to watch you every six months uh, to see what is the, that uh, you you will be told uh, i mean you didn't uh, treasury didn't want the saa deal it was rammed down your throat next year it could be access uh, Exa might be in, in trouble and uh, there's going to be money that must come and there's going to be various uh, problems with maturing debt at Transnet and somewhere else. But let's hear what others are thinking they might want to say. Uh, Peter, uh, as well, you might want to jump in there. Yeah, I, I just got a, a, a question uh, um, from, a, from somebody who's listening to us. Uh, it says, metros are an engine of growth for the economy. But there's little mention of the current crisis in metros in the 
budget policy statement uh, of today. What's the National Treasury doing to address the crisis in metros? And I just thought, Momo, that the, the question about metros is interesting. I've just been on holiday in Spain, it's a country I know quite well. And there's a, there's a really interesting um, phenomenon happening in Spain where metros are competing with each other to attract investment. And uh, because they have a little bit of their own of, of tax autonomy, they're, a, they're able to offer deals. You know, Madrid will offer p- people in Barcelona where there's a wealth tax uh, that they could, if they invest in Madrid, there'll be no wealth tax for them for X number of years, or whatever it might be. What are we doing about our metros as engines of growth? What are we doing to, what are we thinking about uh, our approach to metros and how could they better be used? Yeah, Peter, look, I mean, I think, you know, I like to say, you know, treasury is not God, okay? We can't solve all the problems. And in a sense, whether it's metros uh, or state-owned entities, it's still... You know, our politics, uh, you know, who becomes councillors, who becomes the mayor. Do people think when they take over, it's their turn to eat? Because corruption is very entrenched. It's not going to just go away. Um, uh, So, so, I mean, the minister does in the MTBPS, I mean, he does touch it, I think, in his speech, but there's a bit more detail in... um, in the actual MTBPS booklet. But, you know, when, I mean, again, the, the kinds of issues we have of so many municipalities in, 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 uh, in trouble uh, due to corruption or whatever, that it's, it's a systemic problem. And, you know, we, we don't have time. We, we do, if our politics is not going to be fixed, I mean, look at even today, you see Lenny, the, coalition has collapsed. Um, uh, there doesn't seem to be even the maturity at the level of local government to actually lead and to act in the interest of the people. And I think as Sam or someone touched, as we go into December, um, we begin to get uh, all kinds of ideas which are clearly not sustainable. And we seem to be very good as South Africans at shooting ourselves in the foot. Now, it's a tough area. It's tough to be in the treasury. It's tough to be in government. Uh, I don't think, though, that, you know, pay as you go is a way forward. Uh, I agree with Iraj. I mean, we do need to do planning. We do need to create the fiscal space and know where we go. And in a sense, I think in some areas we have gone down even below where we were in 1994. We took the country up to somewhere, I would say, around 2010. And then it's just been... Uh, with state capture and everything else, we've, we've been, and, and low growth, it's been downhill. We've got to come out of this vicious cycle. And uh, if we don't tackle, and, and I think the, the debate taking place on the electoral bill, making our politicians more accountable, getting parliament to exercise its oversight. You know, as a public servant, yeah. it's hard to talk about those, but I do think those are the fundamental issues. Um. You know, yeah. there's no point. There's no point if if you put a minister or, or an accounting officer who you can't trust totally with ten rands, then don't complain that the system doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, so maybe it's an obvious thing to do, but but if we don't 
solve a simple problem like that, I think it's going to be hard to design systems to keep the politicians from looting entities and so on. Yeah. We're very honored to have Shanti Pai uh, with us uh, tonight. And uh, um, I think he is, yeah, Shanti, Shanti, hi. And thank you for joining us. Um, you wanted to say something. Good evening, uh, Peter. I think I wanted to agree with this um, with this sentiment about um, working on crisis all the time. I think it's, in, it's, an, it's a very important one. Even in, in, in those areas where there's um, there's collaboration between government and state, you always just sort of wait until that very last moment where nobody uh, has a choice uh, except maybe to collaborate. But I thought an interesting thing also in terms of always working in crisis uh, and also not planning properly, you know, this wage bill is a huge problem that really needs uh, proper reform and proper thinking. And I think we, we sort of don't spend enough time uh, on the wage bill and the many elements of it. One of the things I thought the minister was uh, he was saying earlier was how do we spend better and get better quality? I think he mentioned it in education, but I suspect it has to be across um, government in the way in the manner in which, for example, you could have um, you know we pay people the same. So if you're a DG, uh, you know there's a level of a DG, a DDG, uh, a chief director. Whereas maybe we could think about it in a different way in which what skill you bring to the state or to government and how we can pay you according to the skill, so that uh, without undermining, obviously, anybody, so that, for example, a chief director at the Department of Arts and Culture may be not be paid the same way as a chief director at the Treasury or at the Water Department, where the skills are so vastly different, uh, so that you could attract good people, but also you could pay people according to their skill. And maybe that could help, but that would, one would require a lot of, of work in how you actually get to that, so that we think about it in a, in a better way. But also, you know, we've also been talking a lot about the social wage. And it's really, you know, our, our roads work properly for transport and taxes. Also, the, the train, the trains work well so that people can access trains. It's not so expensive and that people can access work and they don't need uh, the kinds of things. I mean, some of the reports that are coming out are telling us people can't get, are choosing which days to go to work because it's so expensive to go to work and asking yeah. for more. So we have to actually try and create the kinds of reforms that allow us not so much uh, in the manner that we've been talking about now, you know, that it's just going to give us growth, but also it's going to help us to build in some of the stability that we've been talking about for so long. So growth, yes, is important and we want it, but certainly, you know, if we're thinking about stabilizing uh, the, 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 the wage bill, uh, we don't tinker with it. I mean, Minister Mboweni tried to tinker with it at the beginning about saying, well, we'll see if we wait for the attrition and maybe we don't rehire people back or some people are going to take wage cuts. We, uh, uh, sorry, um, we'll retire early, things like that. We need to do a little bit more in reforming it and actually also helping uh, in thinking about how you stabilize um, these things. And we need a little bit more than that. And I, I, I mean, we listen to about Prasa all the time about they don't spend their money, they get all this money, but we are short of trains, we are short of safety in the trains, all of which could actually be of really, really big assistance if we think about stabilizing the South African economy and getting out uh, the kinds of things that we need from it. So I think that is important. So, But there's, you know, always working towards a crisis is something that beats us all the time, and that sometimes uh, it might be important to, um, to take some of that pain. And I think uh, this thing about trust that tells us exactly that, that you know, they had to be in this kind of crisis uh, for the sort of kind of action to get. So that's what I, I thought. 
Thanks, thanks, Chanti. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. You know, but, but we mustn't we we mustn't underestimate the extent to which everybody in the world thinks they're in some kind of crisis. Um, wherever you wherever I travelled this 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 summer, um, um, there was a real sense of alarm. You know, partly because of the Russian invasion in Ukraine, but 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 you know the the Brits had got this dreadful um, prime minister, um, the Spanish. Uh, are you know constantly threatened with the, the issues of of uh, secession uh, from by the Catalans, and it's an issue all the time. Um, Greece, you can see, you know, you can see the worry on people's faces as the end of the tourism season arrives because people leave, and and all of the the waiters and the bartenders and all the people who make a little money during the summer face you know quite a long winter back in Athens doing nothing. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we're not alone in being nervous and anxious about, um, about our, our condition. Uh, I'm, I'm told that um, um, uh, Glenn Robbins is in the room as well and would like to say something. Glenn, sorry, I, if, you, if you're there, um, uh, please, uh, hi, Peter. please come on in. Yeah, hi. Thank you. Um, I wanted to push a bit more on this question of the of the the metros because what we've seen in um, the last decade or so is for quite a number of the metros their uh, real capital spending is halved. Um, and we went through a phase where national treasury, through conditional grants in the main, um, upped uh, commitments to to the metros, and I I really worry that. Um, we are in a situation where, um, like with Transnet, um, a whole lot of uh, kind of core services and functions are going to be sort of rapidly depleted across our cities. And I think we have to be much more innovative. I think, um, I mean, it's not Treasury's fault, really, because there's no leadership on the city's issue from a national level. Um, our 2021 census results will come out fairly soon. And we'll show the massive continuing shift of people to our major cities. And uh, I think we have to go back to thinking about conditional grants, uh, reworking the equitable share formula. Um, I think there's, there's, there's almost a sort of an absence of kind of creative thinking. And perhaps that's the political leadership question again. But I really think that um, uh, we might find that more and more of these problems sort of layer on top of each other. If we don't uh, find uh, both technical and political solutions to to deal with yeah. it, uh, thank you. Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate that. You know, one of the one of the things that we should think about probably more, Momo, one day, um, uh, is is how to introduce more competition into the country. Uh, in the absence of privatization, simply devolving powers um, to cities uh, that you know by means of a means test, possibly or whatever, or provinces. To run to run things like their own rail or their own transport, their own hospitals, um, uh, to possibly even be able to levy their own taxes or part of part of the general um, tax regime, include them in, so that they can either levy a tax or decide not to, in order to make themselves more attractive. Uh, to introduce, in I, I, certainly, I've, I've, I, you see it beginning to transform economies elsewhere, there's a competition between 
to big centers of 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 of, of economies. But um, look, uh, my producers are telling me that my time is up. Our time is up. Um, I really want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Thank you very much to to Moma from the National Treasury. Really appreciate you coming to uh, Iraj Abidian, to Gina Skuman, Lonwabo Makobela, Mamuketa Lijani. Uh, thanks, Peter um, Montalto, for coming coming through. It's been a great discussion. I've really enjoyed it, and I hope. All the people, all, all the people listening in, have had uh, as good a time as I have. I've learned a lot tonight, um, and what I guess the thing that I've learned is that actually, in the long run, I think we're going to be okay because we have got a lot of smart people around, and ultimately, that's going to make a difference in South Africa. So, um, with that, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us, and good night. Thank you, and good night. Thank you. Good night.